0: Good morning. My name is Jason Schubert. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Harbor as well. We're glad you're with us on this Lord's Day. Uh, We have been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, uh, seeing the grace and the mercy of our God revealed to us as we await the establishment of His kingdom. Uh, we've over the we're in chapter twenty six uh, this morning uh, but we're in a section where we're uh, seeing how is david uh, god's uh, chosen king, the one that he has appointed how is he going to respond to his enemies those that he encounters remember in chapter twenty four What we saw was uh, uh, Saul's pursuit and uh, attempt to to kill David where uh, David discovers that he and Saul are in the same cave. Uh, uh, Last week, we saw David's encounter with Nabal and how David was going to respond to uh, that insult that he received at at Nabal's hands. This morning, uh, capping off these three chapters in a row that have to do with God's king dealing with his enemies, Uh, Is David again encountering and being pursued by Saul? Uh, And one of the things that we want to look at uh, this uh, this morning is, um, as we've seen consistently through in the Old Testament and in the New, uh, looking at what uh, what Paul says uh, in uh, in Romans twelve. Uh, about not uh, responding with uh, with evil to our enemies but responding to them with good. Uh, what we've seen uh, Jesus teach uh, what we saw in uh, in Matthew 5 of, uh, of Jesus saying one of the ways that we resemble and that we honor God our Heavenly Father is by responding to our enemies uh, with blessing and praying for them. Uh, and we've seen that uh, shown in the, in the Old Testament. But it brings up a question. If uh, if I'm uh, not to respond with vengeance and retribution against my enemies, does that mean in, in places of, of intense abuse and violence and manipulation, do I just remain silent? Do, do I just stay there and take it? Do I just forgive and, and forget? Is that what it means to to love my enemy and to bless them? Must I remain silent? Is that what God is calling me to do in this situation? Some of you may be in a situation like that now, where you're finding yourself, and it's been this way for a long time, experiencing uh, abuse at the hands of of a spouse or a parent. Uh, a friend, a, a coworker, worker uh, maybe even a teacher. You're wondering, what does it look like for me to love an enemy in this context? This morning, I think this passage from First uh, Samuel 26 will help us begin to answer and wrestle with some of those questions. So if you would, look with me. Chapter 26 of the book of First Samuel you're following along in one of the black bibles there in your seats this is on page 249 we're going to look at the whole chapter together this morning so please follow along with me in your copy there of god's word then the ziphites came to saul at gibeah saying is not david hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the east of jeshimon So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Nair, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can put out his hand against Yahweh's anointed and be guiltless. And David said, As Yahweh lives, Yahweh will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. Yahweh forbid that I should put out my hand against Yahweh's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did he did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from Yahweh had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner the son of Nair, saying, "'Will you not answer, Abner?' Then Abner answered, "'Who are you? Who calls to the king?' And David said to Abner, "'Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king?' For one of the people came in to destroy the king your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As Yahweh lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord. Yahweh's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, O Lord, O king. My Lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is Yahweh who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before Yahweh, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of Yahweh, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth, away from the presence of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will, do mo- I will, no-, do- I will no more do har- you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. Yahweh rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For your, Yahweh gave you into my hand today, and I would not uh, put out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of Yahweh, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy to humanity, knowing that due to our rebellion, we deserved quick and swift and total destruction. Uh, but in your mercy, uh, not only did you pursue us, you've continued to reveal yourself to us. Uh, you've uh, provided true and accurate uh, revelation of your character, of your works in space and time and history. Uh, you've given us your spirit to open up our eyes, to see and know you in and through your scriptures. You continue to use Your Word to conform us to Christ, to expose us, our deep need for Him, uh, to convict us and convert us and build us up in righteousness and faithfulness. We pray that You would do all those things this morning. Continue to show us Your grace. Uh, Continue to accomplish Your purposes in and through us and use the preaching of Your Word this morning to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, kids, if you want to keep uh, some a tally of uh, of some words to listen for this morning, you can listen for uh, for silence, for silent and forgiveness, um, or. There's some pretty cool imagery in this passage. If you want to go back and look in the, in the passage and draw a picture of, for me of Saul on the ground when David and Abishai come down, or one of David yelling across the cavern to, uh, to Saul, that would be awesome. Show it to me after the, after the service. Um, uh, but w- what we want to do is we're looking at, uh, at this passage this morning is that to, to ask and seek answers to these two questions. When we're facing uh, abuse and violence at the hands of of enemies, uh, is is what God is calling us to in this call to bless and love them, does that mean we must remain silent? Question one. Question two is uh, Does that mean we must just forgive and forget? and continue a reconciled life with them? we we'll look at this, these two questions. So first, does it mean that we must be silent? Well, right off the bat, I'll tell you the answer is no. Notice, notice in this passage, David does not remain silent. The first thing we see is he comes to confront his enemy, to confront his enemy, abuser. Notice in verses 6 through 16, um, David first reaches out to someone else, both asking Ahimelech and Abishai if they would go with him, uh, something that we'll note later. It's it's significant to see that he doesn't go on his own. He brings someone along, and they go down to where the army is. He says, uh, who will uh, go down into the camp of Saul with me? And Abishai says, I will go. And so it says in verse 7, So David and Abishai went to the army by night and went down to where Saul, uh, Saul was. Uh, here he is, uh, Saul is asleep. He's surrounded by 3,000 of his choice uh, men who have come out to attack uh, and seek to pursue and put an end to David's life once again. But notice when David goes down to confront Saul, what is it? that he takes. It's interesting if you uh, it's it's the spear and the water jug. If you go back, uh, this could be something you could do later is go back through chapter 26 and count the number of times spear is mentioned. The author is wanting to draw our attention to this spear. Remember in, in 1 Samuel we've seen that there's certain items of people's and people's possession that have been uh, symbolic of other things. We saw that the robe was symbolic of the kingdom. Remember when Saul tore Samuel's robe? He said, "This kingdom is being torn from you." We saw when uh, when uh, Jonathan was demonstrating his allegiance to David and his kingship, he passed on his his robe, his his princely garments. The spear takes on a similar thing. Do you remember how Saul has used this spear? It's in violence. It's in hatred towards David, toward his son. Saul always has it with him. And here, as David comes to confront Saul, what is it that he takes to emphasize what this confrontation will be about? It is about your violence, Saul. It is about your abuse, in the way that you continually persist to seek to bring harm to me and others. So, we see David isn't remaining silent. He comes, he confronts Saul, and notice what it is, that instead of being silent, what is it that he speaks? Notice, it's it's a call to repentance. In verses 13 through 16, David is speaking to Abner, Who is the chief of Saul's uh, army? Abner's role, as David points out, is that he is supposed to protect the life of God's anointed. And Abner has failed to do that because if David and Abishai wanted to, they could have taken Saul out right then and there. And so David points out, who's in the wrong, Abner? Notice what he says up in verse 16. This thing you have done is not good, as Yahweh lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over Yahweh's anointed. But notice what David says about himself. Saul recognizes David's voice. He says, uh, is that your voice, David my son? And David says in verse 17, it is my voice, O Lord my King. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is Yahweh who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. Here, David professes and he communicates. Look, if anybody's in the wrong here that would deserve death and this type of treatment, it's it's Abner. It's not me. I'm innocent. What that means, Saul, is that the way that you are treating me and how you continue to come after me, it is wrong. It is sin. You're continuing to to rebel against God and mistreat me. David here isn't remaining silent. He brings this up to Saul. And this language where he talks here and says, uh, if uh, it is Yahweh who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. Uh, In other places in Scripture, we read about this language of God stirring people up. Uh, Sometimes he stirs up someone to bring uh, judgment and punishment on another individual. But here, since David is portraying and communicating, and we know he's been innocent, David isn't the one who is the sinner needing rebuke in this moment. It's Saul. And sometimes God stirs up hard-hearted, hard-hearted, unrepentant sinners to further judgment on them, to uh, further overwhelm them with their sin and to bring judgment and punishment on them. And that's what he's doing here to Saul. But notice what David says. If that is the case, and God is indeed stirring you up now, Saul, because of your sin, to deepen your guilt and your judgment. Offer him an offering. Repent. Call out to our God of mercy. Turn from your sin. He may accept your offering. David doesn't remain silent. He confronts. He calls to repentance. But notice also, he gives a word of warning. Look as he continues on in verse 19. Now therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is Yahweh who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before Yahweh. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of Yahweh, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth apart from the presence of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains." Here he's saying what these men deserve, Saul being one of them, who is seeking to put an end to David's life, rebelling against God's revealed will. David is saying what you deserve is curse. That is a warning to all those who adhere. Notice what will happen if you do not repent. In fact, later in the chapter in verses 22 through 23, David points us out again. David answers and says, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. Yahweh rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For Yahweh gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. David is showing, look, the two choices for humanity in their relationship with God is either one of reward and blessing or one of curse. And if you fail to hear the call to repentance, what will result for you is curse. David doesn't remain silent. He confronts his enemy, the one perpetrating violence against him. He calls him to repentance and he issues this warning. Here, uh, what, what we're seeing is that that this call that God has given us uh, is uh, to uh, when we're facing our enemies is not just one of restraining from vengeance, but He goes even further and says, "Call them to repentance, issue a warning for." They might turn and repent. In Romans 12, Paul, quoting from uh, Proverbs in this section, he brings out the same point. Beginning in verse 19 Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Sometimes people read that and thinking, Oh, the way to really stick it to my enemy is to be nice to him. And then that'll just really burn him up. That's not what it's talking about at all. The picture of the coals coming on them is, is picturing uh, them being in a situation that causes them to realize the consequences of what they're doing, that they might turn from what they are, are, are doing now and turn their hearts to God. And we see that call here. In fact, if we doubted whether God approved of David's confrontation of Saul in this passage, look back on verse 12. When David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from Yahweh had fallen upon them. God approves of this action. In fact, He he provides the the, the means and the avenue for David to approach Saul in this way. Think about that. Why? Why? Why would I want to address an an abuser, an enemy like this, and call them to repentance? Wouldn't it be better for me just to, to take them out? To offer repentance? But is that not another way for us to reflect our Father in Heaven? Who... Responds to us in that way? In our sin? In our rebellion? Did God remain silent? No, in His mercy. He confronted you, and He confronted me in our sin. Exposing our sin. Calling us to repentance. Warning us of the consequences of not repenting and turning to Him. But announcing and proclaiming to us that forgiveness is offered to those who look and trust and hope in Jesus. And here, God is asking us and calling us to do this hard and difficult thing of confronting and speaking to those who are our enemies. You might be in a situation like that now where you're you've been wrestling with this for a while. You've continued to remain quiet. You haven't said anything. Maybe you think that that what it looks like uh, to love this person is to just not not speak up, afraid of of, of offending. Uh, maybe you think that that to have that kind of conversation might would would turn them away or potentially make it make it worse for you. But notice what we're seeing in this passage that. Actually, to love someone is to call them and, to repentance and warn them of their continued path of, if they're living in disobedience to the Lord. Now, if this is a situation or circumstance that you're facing now, know that, that remaining silent is not what God has for you. He affirms in this passage that he was behind David confronting and exposing what Saul is doing, specifically pointing out the violence by taking the fear. Uh, if that's you in this situation now, reach out to someone else. Don't do it alone. Reach out to someone like Abishai, hopefully someone who has a little bit more re- restraint than, uh, than Abishai, wanting to pin Saul to the ground in one swipe. Call out and reach out to the proper authorities. Speak to somebody here in the church, but don't don't remain silent. You see what God is calling you to is to speak up, expose this sin. God isn't pleased by abuse and violence and hatred like this. If you need someone to go with you to talk about this, myself or one of the elders. Will be there beside you. Don't remain silent. But but don't remain silent. Does that also mean that with this talk of repentance and forgiveness, does that mean that in this relationship with this person, that if they repent, I just must forgive? And forget. Think about a situation or a scenario where you like to eat ice cream. I do. And you have a, a particular individual that you invite over to your home, and it seems that every time you make a bowl of ice cream for you and that other person, you, as you're putting it back up in their refrigerator, you notice you gave three scoops of chocolate to them, three scoops of chocolate to yourself. But every time you go to put the ice cream back in the refrigerator, you come back and the person's, uh, their bowl has four scoops and yours now has two. That happens a couple of times over and over again and, and you communicate to them, hey, can you please not do that? And they say, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I did that. I will never do it again. You forgive them. Next time they're over, same thing happens. Have that same conversation. They repent. The same thing happens. You know what? What you're beginning to see is that although they're using these words of repentance, their actions are showing they haven't changed at all. In fact, if you keep forgetting about this action of your your friend or your neighbor, it's always going to happen that way. Uh, it's like that in other realms of our life too, but ice cream and forgetting about that is really insignificant, isn't it? But we're in a relationship where it's not about ice cream, but it's about violence. It's not about scoops of chocolate. It's about pain and suffering and cruelty. Forgiving and forgetting have drastically more significant consequences. Are we just to forgive and forget? What about David? Have we not already seen Saul repent? Flip back over to chapter 24. Down in verse 16. Remember, David reveals to Saul that he didn't kill him when he could have in, the, in the, the cave. And as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and in, that you did not kill me when Yahweh put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may Yahweh reward you with good for for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Here, Saul weeps. Saul cries. Saul communicates that he is doing evil and David is doing good. Should David just forgive... And forget, and the relationship go on as normal. Notice what David does here in our passage. Even as it starts off, Saul's proving through his actions that his words of repentance were meaningless. Notice how the the chapter begins. Uh, In verse 26, the Ziphites who uh betrayed David once again. This has happened before. But Saul gets 3,000 chosen men of Israel, it tells us in verse 2, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. He's doing the same thing. He's continuing to pursue David regardless of what he has said before, even though he's cried before, even though he's wept, even though he said, I was wrong, you were right. He's continuing the same actions and it shows us that he's continuing to seek to manipulate David and others. But notice, David is not just forgetting. He's aware of Saul's actions. He's aware of Saul's patterns. Notice in verse 3 and following, when David finds out that Saul is in fact on the move, he knows what he's up to. He sends out spies to get more information. When David goes into the camp to confront Saul, what is it that he picks up? He hasn't forgotten what that spear has done. He hasn't forgotten what it symbolizes. He remembers and knows of the violence that Saul has done. But notice even how the memory of these things and the fact that David may have forgiven Saul, but he's not forgetting it. Look down in verse 13. After David gets all of this stuff and he comes back to the other side, he doesn't wake Saul up and say, hey, i got something to say to you. What's it say in verse 13? Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. David recognizes space is important. When you're in the presence of someone who has proven themselves to be untrustworthy, Particularly when their sin and their untrustworthiness leads to violence and pain and suffering and abuse on your part, it is wise not to just forgive and forget. Forgive, yes, but let's keep space, let's keep distance, let's separate ourselves to determine what's really going on. Maybe we need to take some time to flee into the wilderness. But Saul, he continues his same patterns. Look in verses twenty one to twenty five. Then Saul says, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. You who are in situations of abuse and pain and struggle right now, do you recognize the patterns in this type of behavior? Have you experienced one who has hurt and wounded you to come face to face and you see the tears? You hear the pain in their voice. They repent and say, I was wrong. Come back. Come back to me. And you've gone back. And since there hasn't been any time or proof of repentance, what happens? The same patterns begin again. The beatings continue. The harsh and harmful words continue. The suffering continues. Here, David is demonstrating and showing us that he has not forgotten. He's not going to be manipulated by Saul's words. Saul has proven himself untrustworthy. In fact, notice what David brings up when he does respond to Saul's invitation Come back, David. Return. I'll never do this again. David says, here's your spear, okay? This mark of your violence and your rebellion. It's as if David's saying, why don't you take it back and let me see whether you use it again? Because until there's been fruit and demonstration of repentance, how do you know that a life has changed? The Scriptures do indeed call us to forgive. The Scriptures do not call us to reconciliation in every situation. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us in Christ. But until there is repentance, reconciliation can't happen. Return to me, David. Why? Just to continue to be abused and manipulated by you? for you to wound and hurt, David's going to put his life in danger and maybe the lives of other people if he goes back. But repentance can't be proven without time to see the fruit of it, can it? And it is not safe or wise to go back to a violent enemy regardless of what they're saying with their mouths or what their tears may seek to communicate. Unless there's been evidence of the fruit of repentance. In fact, David knows what Saul's going to do. We'll see in the next chapter, Saul's back up to his own his games. David knows he's not safe around Saul. The king who would come later, the greater David, Jesus, uh, in John 2, Uh, There's many people who uh, put their faith and trust in Christ. Some who believe just superficially as the work is beginning. But in John 2, listen to what it says of Jesus' response to these crowds that are gathering around him. John 2.24 But Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Jesus, the greater King, was also cautious. He knew that until we see the demonstration of trust played out in the fruit of continued repentance and change of life, then it's dangerous for us to seek to reconcile this relationship. If you are in a situation, either in your family, in in your school, uh, with a significant other, whether it's a dating relationship or a relationship with a neighbor, and there's been continual, ongoing abuse, no, you've been called to forgive. But reconciliation is not necessary, do not enter back into that relationship without the proof of prolonged, consistent repentance and change of life. And even then, depending on the situation, it still may not be wise to enter into that place. There is no reconciliation. There there is no repentance. There cannot be reconciliation. We're not just called to forgive and forget. But sometimes that memory can be what keeps us safe. But not showing vengeance, no retribution to these people. Jesus, you're calling me to to confront which can be hard enough in itself. But to forgive, wouldn't it just be easier to ignore all of this and take them out? Just in their life, it would feel so much better inside. And I'd feel like something is happening and that justice has come. This is going to date me. Never had to say that before. Uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, Aerosmith... Came out with a song called Janie's Got a Gun. It's about the experience of sexual abuse in the context of a family. And Janie got to the end of her ability to be able to cope with what's going on and the the endless cycle of it continuing at the hands of her father and other people not listening or doing anything. There was no hope of justice in her heart or in her life that nobody would step in. There would never be an end to it. And so Janie gets a gun and she takes care of her father because she had no confidence that anybody ever would step in on her behalf. Is that us? Why? Why should we confront and not seek vengeance? Why should we call to repentance and not seek vengeance? Why should we forgive? It would be a lot easier for me to forget them if they weren't in this world. How do we go about doing this great call to love and bless enemies? Notice... David's in a very different place than Janie because David serves and worships the one true and living God who is a God of justice and a God of righteousness. Look in verse 10. Abishai can't imagine why David doesn't take him up on this offer to take the spear and just jab it through Saul in one fell swoop. Notice, he's confident of his ability to take him out. I won't even have to do it twice. I'm sure I'll go through with one swipe. What does David say? In verse 9, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against Yahweh's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As Yahweh lives, Yahweh will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish Yahweh forbid that I should put out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. But now take the spear that's at his head and the water jar and let us go. David's confident. God will act. Saul will be judged. It may happen that God just strikes him down. It may happen that he lives to an old age and just dies. It may be that God judges him in a battle. But what David is confident of is that Saul and his unrepentance will have to face the just wrath of God if he doesn't return. Remember, we've seen, David's already communicated that. What awaits those who fail to repent and seek the mercy of God? Curse, David says. What do we see in verse 23? That God does reward the righteous who look and hope and trust in Him. What is it? How is David able to continually respond like this to Saul in this place? Notice in verse 19. Now therefore, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it's Yahweh who stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. If it's men, may they be cursed. For they've driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of Yahweh, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea and one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. What is on David's heart and his mind in the midst of all of this suffering that's going on is his God. The heritage that he has as a part of the family of God's redeemed people of one who longs for nothing but being in the presence of his God. How in the world is it that someone like David or someone like you or me can have the confidence that we could have heritage in the family of the people of God, that we could dwell in his presence? What do we deserve? We deserve his curse. We deserve his wrath. It's not just abusers and perpetrators of violence, but every single human who dwells on the face of the earth, we've all rebelled against our God, and we equally deserve this curse. But David here is confident of God's grace and his mercy as he's looking and he's hoping and he's trusting in his God. He realizes that God has extended him mercy. God has responded to David, his enemy with grace and the offer of forgiveness. David has the confidence in verse 24 to say this as, uh, or this is what uh, what Saul says. No, this is David. Yahweh rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For Yahweh gave you into my hand this day and would not uh, and I would not put out my hand against Yahweh's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, So may my life be precious in the sight of Yahweh, and may He deliver me out of all my tribulation. David is responding and dealing with Saul as he has been dealt with by the Lord. David understands that he's precious in the eyes of God. This actually is what fuels and enables us to be able to deal with and relate to our enemies this way. How do you know your God loves you like this? How can you be confident that He will in fact bring justice where there is no repentance? Do you notice what David's concern was in verse 20? Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of Yahweh. David doesn't want to die away from the presence of God. And in fact, he won't. But, one will come. The greater David, who will in fact die apart from the presence of God. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, forsaken by the Father, Because that's what we deserved, to die apart from his presence. But because our king has died apart from the presence of our God on our behalf, we are brought in, in as a part of his heritage, into his presence, and are those that are precious in the eyes of our God. What we deserved is what Jesus took on our behalf. It's only because our great king was treated as an enemy and us brought in as friends that is what will enable us and empower us and motivate us to extend grace and mercy to enemies. As we seek to love them and bless them and pray for them, not remaining silent, confronting Calling to repentance. Bringing someone along with you as you do that. Warning them of their consistent rebellion. Forgiving, yes, but not forgetting. Keeping space. Looking for the fruit of repentance. But confident. That if repentance doesn't happen, judgment will. And if they do repent, judgment also will occur. Because it was poured out on Jesus. But no, right now, you might not see an end to uh, and an experience full justice in this life, but like David, no. You have a just God who loves you, who detests sin, and who will one day bring justice and deliverance and deliver all of His people from their tribulation. Because Jesus is a sufficient King, for you and for me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for being the one who suffered on our behalf apart from the presence of God. We pray for hope and healing and comfort for those who are experiencing Abuse and violence and pain and manipulation at the hands of their enemies. Would Your character and Your presence and Your love bring all of us confidence and trust in our great God and our King as we await the return of Jesus and the righting of all wrongs. In Christ's name, amen.